This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. In today's episode, we're going to do a little thought experiment that will help us get in the mindset that we need to be to play melodies and solos creatively and at the top of our game, to take a boring expression of a melody and truly turn it into something that is riveting for the audience and riveting for ourselves. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. What musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. So excited to be here today. So I want to talk to you really quickly about one of our members in our Inner Circle membership. Now, recently, we've been studying the jazz standard called But Not For Me. Okay, But Not For Me. It's a George Gershwin tune. Um, you know, really fun, really fun jazz standard to practice, to learn. A lot of compounding effects after learning this jazz standard that will kind of bleed into many other jazz standards. So um, I like to call these sorts of jazz standards like gold jazz standards, ones where, you know, you master that harmony and because it has so much reoccurring harmony in other jazz standards, it's really valuable. So this particular member has been with us from the very beginning when we started the inner circle. So I know he's playing real well. He's a great player. And so at this point, I start getting, when when we have folks in our membership that have been a while, around for a while, I start getting a little bit more picky about what I hear because we do a lot of recording ourselves and posting it in the community. Um, getting feedback from other members and from myself and other members of my team. So you get to know the playing of of the different members, especially if they've been around for a while. And I get picky. And this particular member played the melody to the jazz standard, but not for me. He was just showing that he could do the melody. Um, this was earlier on in, in, in the month, right? So usually a lot of members will, you know, when the new jazz standard study comes out, they'll They'll, they'll start posting the different sections and parts, like whether it be the head or um, playing with the chords or you know the first attempt at improv or one of the improv exercises that we do or the etude, you know, what have you. And it kind of progresses throughout the month. And when I heard this member play the melody, it sounded really good, okay? Um, but there's a but, as you can probably sense in the tone of my voice, but it sounded just a little bit plain, a little bit scripted. Like it just sounded a little bit monotone to me. It sounded like there was something missing in it that wasn't quite speaking to me. It was a little unconfident in some senses. There wasn't this feeling of 
passion and soul that I hear in professional jazz musicians, the thing that they do that takes a, a melody and brings it to life. And I like to sort of think about when we play any melody from a real book, it kind of sounds like this. Right? It sounds so almost robotic, right? If you were to read, like, Autumn Leaves is a great example. If you were to read Autumn Leaves from a real book, that's what it sounds like. It sounds very robotic. And the thing that makes Melodies of Jazz Standards magical is the fact that they can be expressed and especially expressed so differently depending on what musician you're playing. And I'm not even necessarily talking about embellishing the melody, which is completely fine. It happens all the time in jazz. But I'm talking about just the way you phrase it, just the way you inflect a certain note, right? That's kind of, to me, where the magic of jazz comes out. So with this particular member, I wasn't singling him out or picking on him because many other members are kind of in the same boat as well. But I wanted to do a little thought experiment, right? A little thought experiment. Before I talk about that thought experiment, I think it would be a good idea for me to play the melody for But Not For Me, but I'm going to play it just like I'm just going to play the melody as if I was reading it out of the book. Like, this is the written word. Here's the melody, okay? So let's play that just to give us a baseline, and then we'll do the thought experiment, and we'll play it again. All right, so check it out. So that's just playing the melody like, hey, I just learned the melody. Here's how you play the melody, right? It's textbook. Okay, so now let's do the thought experiment. Okay, so take a deep breath. Um, and if you haven't been focusing on the podcast very well up to this point, let's do a little reset really quick and focus in on the scenario I'm about to present to you. So I want you to imagine that you are at the Blue Note, which is a jazz club in New York City. You're in the heart of the West Village, the bustling city of New York, New York, Manhattan, the jazz capital of the world, okay? Now, you are at the Blue Note, not because you're watching a performance. It's because your band actually is the ones playing. You are the headlining group for this evening at the Blue Note Jazz Club, one of the most important big jazz clubs in the world, okay? Now, it's a packed house. 
there are absolutely no seats available. The patronage are sipping their cocktails, finishing up their pre-show dinner. In the front near the stage are tables designated for your best fans. They paid the most amount of money to be there, and they are absolutely 100% excited and prepared to meet you after the show to get a signed autograph of your latest record. Now, your band, you guys just finished up at Ronnie Scott's in London. You flew over the pond this afternoon, and you're all rested up. You're ready to play. Now, you are on the side stage, right? Imagine the stage. It's dark inside of the club. The show is just starting. The lights are pouring down. Your trio is out there first. Let's just say for today that you're a saxophone player. And so the piano player, the bass player, and the drummer walk onto stage, but you're still on the side stage. And there's a gentle clap going out throughout the room. And they start playing an intro to But Not For Me. What they're doing is they're basically improvising over But Not For Me, trying to get ready for the big moment when you arrive, right? People came to watch you. You're the star. They can't wait to see you come out there and start playing, right? And the band is absolutely cooking. And as you watch from the side of the stage, you can feel the energy pulsing throughout the club. The excitement of the crowd. Everybody is transfixed in your trio. Your trio is swinging so hard. The groove is locked in. You guys have been playing together for years. And this moment highlights that sheer professionality that you guys bring and the musicality that emanates throughout that room. Okay, you sit there on the side, saxophone in hand, watching them play while the crowd eagerly awaits for you to come out. Now, after a few choruses through But Not For Me, your piano player looks back at you from center stage over to you on the side stage, signaling that it's time for you to come out and play the head to But Not For Me. You take a deep breath, you stand up out of your chair, and you take that first step into the light of the stage. And immediately, as soon as the crowd sees you there, walking out towards center stage, towards your microphone, they erupt with cheers, standing ovation, completely prepared to give you their entire full attention, devotion, and excitement as you play the first note to But Not For Me, and afterwards play an incredibly creative, compelling solo that's going to have them transfixed. Okay, so again, let's just sort of review what the thought experiment is. The thought experiment is a reality that is probably not true for you, right? You're probably not a professional musician. And if you were a professional musician, you're probably not a professional musician that has such no notoriety that you're playing at the best jazz clubs in the world, right? Probably not a musician that has such notoriety that you have a packed house, that you have 
uh, sold out front seats of your biggest fans who were ready to get your autograph at the end of the show, right? This is probably not your reality. But what I want you to do is for a second, even if just for a second here, pretend that this is actually your reality. Pretend that this is not a strange scenario and cast aside the feelings of nerves that you're probably feeling right now. Like cast aside, oh, I'm nervous. I'm unconfident. I can't go out in front of this crowd. I can't take the pressure of having to play amazing music. For a second, please pretend with me that this is a normal situation for you, that you have reached the pinnacle of your musicality, that you have reached the pinnacle of what is possible for musicians in today's modern world, right? In the, in the world of jazz. And you're not nervous because you've done this so many times. You're relaxed. You're excited, if anything. And you are completely prepared to deliver on the promise that was the ticket purchased to have the privilege to come watch you play. Okay? So how would you feel if this were you in this situation right now? Like, what would the feelings be? Again, cast aside the temptation to say, I'd be nervous or I'd be overwhelmed. Forget about that right now because that's not who you are in this thought experiment. How would you feel? Would you feel proud? Would you feel enthusiasm? Would you feel gratitude? Right? And based upon those feelings that you have in this particular scenario, how would you play the melody to But Not For Me? What would it feel like to play the melody for But Not For Me? What would it do to you to have the energy of that room and the energy of your completely perfect, amazing band behind you, supporting you, ready to lift you up to musical heights you've never been in before? How would you play the melody to But Not For Me? Right? Now, obviously, um, for a lot of us, and for me, just a second, we're playing with a backing track. This is a very sterile musical environment, although it's not as sterile as um, perhaps playing with a metronome, right? Or just playing solo by yourself where you really have to dig for that creativity, right? You know, but it's still a sterile environment. That backing track, it's going to play the same every single time. It's not going to feed off of what you play. All of those things are working against you when you're practicing playing the melody to a jazz standard, right? Uh, and I can tell you straight away, I have never played the best jazz of my life in a practice room playing with a backing track. I never have, okay? The best music I've ever played in my life was playing with a group of other musicians that I was familiar with playing with that knew how to play with me and I knew how to play with them. We cast aside our egos completely. We let go of any um we let go of any ego that was allowing us to feel self-deprecation or uncertainty in ourselves. We just simply surrendered to the music. It's a difficult headspace to get into, but in those moments, that's where I've played the best jazz of my life, the best heads, the best improvisation, the best comping. That's where it's happened. It's never happened in the practice room. Now, I've played some good stuff in the practice room because in order to get to those moments I'm referring to, you have to put the work in in the practice room. But 
if we can try to channel some of this thought experiment into our practicing, right? If we're trying to practice playing a melody as if we were about to play the best head to butt not for me in our entire lives because we were delivering on the promise to our audience and we were serving the music, then how will we play it, okay? So that's what I want to do now. So let's consider this thought experiment. Pretend that now it's me who's at the blue note. I'm playing in front of all these people. How would I play the melody, to, but not for me, even though I'm dealing with a backing track? Well, let's give it a shot. Here we go. cut me off but okay wow wow what a difference right and i'm not saying wow because i'm like brent you're so awesome i'm just saying wow when i put myself through that headspace things changed a lot and just in case you forgot what the first one sounded like uh we let's do an instant replay so here's here's the first but not for me and then right after that i'm gonna play the one that I just recorded so that you can better hear the difference between the two. Okay, so here it is again.
Okay, so I uh, hope you heard that, but Blue Note Brent sounds a lot better than playing the melody perfectly Brent, okay? And it's a headspace that I've gotten into, obviously, is one, but two, it's actually practicing the concept of expressing the melody. So how do we do that, right? How do we do that appropriately? So number one, we obviously have to know the melody very well in its most pure form. So in that sense, when we're playing a melody the first way I played it, there's almost some benefit in starting there, right? In fact, there's a lot of benefit in starting there, uh, in starting from a place where you're playing something almost exact. Now, that could be you're playing it exactly the way a certain jazz musician played it on a record you're copying it from, which in and of itself will, will already give you an expression of the melody, right? It could be that you did learn it from a real book, which is, you know, it, it, it's it's not a bad thing to do. Um, it sometimes can be a helpful tool to have to be like, oh, okay, everybody's playing the melody a little different. What's like a uh, bare bones version, right? So th- in that case, it can be helpful, right? But, you know, it, it you know, however you're doing it, right? You 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 can learn it in a very straight, plain way first so that you can play it on your instrument and you know what the melody is, right? But then after that, after you've completed number one, you can move on to number two, which is getting yourself into the headspace that you want to get into, right? The thought experiment we just went through. Number three is what are some sounds that I'm actually hearing, right? So maybe you're not just improvising the way that you're feeling the melody should be right off the bat. Maybe you're starting off with trying to figure out some things you can play over the first part. So, okay, so right there, you're kind of sliding into a note, right? So, right, so instead of going... I'm going, right? So that's something that I did is I went this little ornament there. So instead of, I went, right? So even little things like that, right? I added some extra notes there. More extra notes. I did that little walk down little bit, right? We're going, to the, we're going to the four chord. So, you know, you can start practicing or even composing out the way you would want to play the melody, right? Because, you know, sometimes that's, and I, again, I talk about this all the time on the show, sometimes composing and slowing things down and imagining things is a helpful way for that eventually to become improvised, right? Because the more you get to know your own playing and what you want to hear, the more likely that's going to be internalized for you to play out in a moment's notice, right? Which is improvisation, reacting, right? So you can start planning things out, right? And playing things the way you want to play them. You can start listening to a lot of other musicians that you really like. So for example, you know, I might listen to Colt. I love the way Coltrane plays melodies, right? So I may listen to Coltrane and wow, I want to channel. What is that thing he does? Like the way he holds out that note. I want to get that too. So you try to figure out what that is and you experiment with that. Uh, everybody knows on the show by now, I'm a huge Peter Bernstein fan. Um, 
you probably could even hear his influence in my playing there when I was playing the melody. If anybody's familiar with Peter Bernstein, you know, I, when I, it just, I hear Peter Bernstein, I resonate, resonate with it. And so if I listen to Peter Bernstein, I will automatically start playing somewhat like Peter Bernstein. It's because I know his playing so well. And I've, I've figured out some of his isms just by listening. So and it, it, that's not a problem. Like if you want to channel some of that, then try to figure it out, right? Try to figure out what some of those things are that you like from your favorite jazz musicians playing and the way they play the melody, right? We're often so concerned about learning solos and how do your favorite jazz musicians improvise, but we miss the melody completely, right? And that's what we're talking about today. How do we play jazz melodies like a pro? Well, this is how we start doing that. Let's talk about a few things that I want you to understand about playing jazz melodies, okay? So some people think, okay, so expressing the melody, that means I can play whatever I want as long as I just reference the melody. And, and in my opinion, and again, this is not everybody's opinion. This is Brent's opinion right now. I personally hate it. And this would include when I hear seasoned professional jazz musicians do this. I personally hate it when I have to guess for the melody or I have to fill in the blanks on the melody, meaning there's a whole lot of improvisation happening, a whole lot of like, very far out embellishment and then only referencing the melody. No, that's not my, for me, that is not what expressing the melody is, right? You know, I'm ready to listen to the improvisation when that comes up, but with the melody, I personally want to hear that melody the whole way through, right? When I was playing, but not for me, sure. You heard me doing a little bit of improv in between phrases. You heard me adding a few inflections, ornaments, and a few extra notes in there. But I never strayed away from the melody. I never strayed away from the heart of the melody, the true intentions of the melody, the way that melody was written, right? If you just want to improvise over the melody, then, you know, just let someone else play the melody and then you just improvise, right? That's that's sort of my feelings. And it's a little bit of a strong feeling. It's it's an opinion that I have. Now, again, not everybody shares that opinion, but I would say that even if you decide later that you disagree with me, that when you're starting out on this journey to playing melodies at a higher level, that you really try to stick to what the melody is, Right. And if you're embellishing it, we're not running away from the melody, right? We're we're really trying to take the melody as is, but figure out ways that we can express it our own way, that we can add more life into it, whether it be rhythmic interest, whether it be ornamental interest, whether it be the way we phrase it, right? But we're not gonna we're not gonna run away from the melody. We're going to have the melody front and center. And that's why, and the melody is so important, right? That's why you'll often hear me talk about and other musicians who are at a high pro level, they'll talk about using the melody in your solo, right? Because again, the melody is what makes the song. It's not the chord progressions. The the chord progressions, you can reuse chord progressions and add new melodies over top of it. It's the melody that makes the song. This is especially true for blueses, right? What's the difference between one blues and another? Well, yeah, sometimes the chord progressions can be slightly different, but it's the melody, right? So if I'm playing uh, Tenor Madness or I'm playing Things Ain't What They Used To Be, 
it's a great idea for me to utilize that melody within there. And when we're improvising, that's totally fine to not stick to the melody. At that point, we want to be referencing the melody, right? So that's that's why it's so important to have that melody forwards and backwards and to learn it by ear if you can. If there's anything you learn by ear, learn a melody by ear, right? I always say that, right? Um, know it so well because then you can really start implementing that into your solo. But when we're talking about playing the melody, please play the melody to its truest form as far as these are what the notes are. This is the general frame of which it's played. But now we can mess around with the rhythm a little bit. Now we can add some runs in between. Now we can do this, but never run away from the melody. That, again, my strong opinion, but that's what I suggest. Okay. So embellishing doesn't mean running away from the melody. It just means adding your own ornamental inflections on it, rhythmic and other things. Okay. So my challenge for you this week is whatever jazz standard you're working on right now, go ahead and practice this. Practice playing the melody your own way. Run yourself through the thought experiment. We'll call it the blue note thought experiment and see where that takes you. Okay, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it a whole, whole, whole lot. Hopefully you found this helpful today uh, and that you'll take action on today's episode. Um, Hey, by the way, our LGS Inner Circle membership is always available and open to you if learning a new jazz standard every single month is something that sounds like something you would want to be a part of and practicing with a bunch of other musicians playing all sorts of instruments, having a great time. And then of course you have access to lots of other courses if you need help with specifics, but it's a really great environment to learn. And if you would like to join us, ljsinnercircle.com is where you can do it. And right now we're running a special promotion only for podcast listeners where you can get 50% off your first month or $15 off an annual membership when you join by going to ljsinnercircle.com. Okay. So ljsinnercircle.com, um, that deal is automatically applied at checkout. So we'd love to have you join us. This is a great opportunity. So we hope to see you in there. All right. We're going to be coming out with another great quick win episode of the podcast this upcoming Friday. Look forward to having you back. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.